0: Hello, and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Careers, the podcast where we discuss multi-hyphenates, dig deep into hustle culture, and find hobbies that maybe our neighbors will notice and offer to pay us for. We're your hosts, Mallory, Austin, and Catherine.
1: Woo.
0: Hey-o. I'm Mallory Kaufman, litter box sanitation worker and amateur puppy petter.
2: Well, and I'm Catherine Peach. An aspiring astrologer and apartment hunter.
1: Mm. And I'm Austin Mark, witness for the prosecution and air hockey disc jockey. That one's like fully not a job, but I liked that it rhymed, so I put it on my list.
0: Air hockey disc jockey. I'm just like trying to put it all like what is <laughs> what does an air hockey disc jockey do? <laughs> I'm like a, it's a busy job. One hand, wickle, wickle.
1: <laughs> yeah. And knocking pucks with one hand and uh <laughs> Putting out all the sick beats with my other one.
3: All
0: right. Well, we're here. We made on another episode of the pod. Yay. Seems like week to week, we're surprised we make it, and we're pleased
2: that we're here.
1: Yeah, we're back again, talking about multi-hyphenates. And if anyone's jumping in right now on episode, episode nine, uh, we're talking about... Multi hyphenates, and that is a combination of careers. So, originally in the 1970s, this word came out in Hollywood to describe actor hyphen dancer hyphen singers. So, they were showing a way that people could put on a resume and explain that they do more than one thing. And now we're taking that term and updating it and broadening it to people who do gig work and side hustle jobs and a combination of jobs or switching from one career to another. And just kind of opening up that up for what it means to us today.
2: And I certainly hope somebody's jumping in. Because otherwise, we this ship is sinking. <laughs> gonna, like, I don't know if I've ever just gone back been like, this is a, unless it was in a narrative. I don't think I've ever just gone back and been like, better start from the beginning.
1: <laughs> better start at one. Yeah, I guess it's not really like, a, it's not an anthology. <laughs>
2: yeah. But
0: it is. Please listen to each and every episode. All our words. Yeah,
1: also do listen to every. Yeah. They're all precious. Well, also, the whole thing is, like, it's really meta. So if you don't, if you don't listen to episodes <laughs> one through eight, you're just, you're going to have no idea what we're talking about. That's a good
2: point. Like, yeah. Follow along or do <laughs> The jokes
1: but. really build on themselves.
2: <laughs> As you can tell, we're hilarious.
0: And in episode one, we explain why we're so hilarious.
2: <laughs> we give the good foundation about why we're so damn funny. <laughs> <sighs>
0: Hilarious or not, we also have another tradition on the pod where we highlight a multi-hyphenate and we've been trying to dabble in and out of um, Hollywood, picking people that maybe aren't traditionally considered multi-hyphenates or at least folks that we feel are exemplary of it, but maybe don't necessarily fall under the umbrella. And so this week, we are going to talk about Elizabeth Warren and... She is a wonderful example of a multi-hyphenate, someone who has been doing this long before the 1970s. Elizabeth started off with a gradu- uh, graduating from the University of Houston with a degree in linguistics. And so, much like our guest coming on later, was an elementary school teacher before having starting her family. And then started a family, had her first child, And because two, you know, the terrible twos must have not been so bad, jumped right into law school. And after acquiring a JD, began um, teaching as a professor. Yeah, so she taught law for 30 years, and her course load was typically commercial law, contract law, and bankruptcy, which after 30 years, I'd be ready to retire. (laughs) Elizabeth Warren, on the other hand, was not and in 2012 she was the first woman ever elected to the senate from the state of massachusetts who yes. <laughs> ran the world right yeah. and uh part of where i think she picked up notoriety was following the collapse of the economy in 2008 with her background in bankruptcy she'd been um the chair of the congressional oversight panel for troubled asset relief and her skill set came to play and she became well known for I guess, holding Wall Street accountable and protecting the taxpayer. And in 2016, well, in this 2016 cycle, she ran for the presidency. So I believe a lot of our listeners will know who she is. Um, and I clearly find am fond of her and just am ever fascinated by not only her energy level, her Happiness level, but also upon doing more digging, just the reality of the scope of her skills and kind of her fullness as a multi-hyphenate. Today, we thought she would be a fun one to highlight because of her background in teaching, not only elementary school, but as a professor. And we've brought a teacher on the pod for the first time. Yes. Yay. We will be chatting more with my dear friend and fellow Oxy alum. Lila Weinstein. And she is an elementary school teacher currently. So she speaks to that. And currently, we are in a pandemic, she gets to speak a lot to what the situation at school is from her perspective. And um, on top of being an elementary school teacher, Lila is a fantastic artist, speaks about having had an art show, and she's also taken on gardening and getting paid to do it, which is really fun to hear about, and a fantastic writer. I don't know that she qualifies herself as a writer, but throughout the conversation, I think you'll hear the way she talks. You know, she's good with words.
1: Definitely. Definitely,
0: Without further ado, we can jump right in. Well, welcome, Lila. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Yay. We have typically been starting off these interviews with the same question just because it's elicited some interesting responses and yours didn't disappoint either, but were you familiar with the term multi-hyphenate before we asked you to come on to the pod?
3: I was not, and I've also been speaking to lots of people bragging about how I'm going to be on the show, and no one else has known what that is either.
0: (laughs) I'm so happy, though. I feel like that's the thesis of the podcast, is trying to broaden the term and expose it to more people and and allow more people to understand that they are a multi-hyphenate, even though maybe definitionally it had been more exclusive. But we're changing that. Hey, Webster, coming for you. I think that second part to that, which is the interesting part in your case, was describing yourself as a multi hyphenate. And so now that you know what it is, or now that you kind of ruminated on the term, would you describe yourself as a multi hyphenate?
3: Yeah, I would. I think that I, I mean, I came to teaching very early on in my life, but I also came to it as like i'm not still still not sure if this is like my life goal even though i do love it especially right now in the t- pandemic it's been especially fun <laughs> but um i think that it, it really incorporates how i feel about art and gardening and i oh don't know what are my other passions <laughs> being outside being with my friends like i don't know i feel like So many of us have so many different things that make us who we are and multi-hyphenism can describe that.
1: Yeah, I think, and honestly, like the more people that I talk to about it and I'm finding more people in... More traditional single track jobs that I know who still feel like this resonates with them. A couple people who we may end up interviewing, but I have a friend in the Air Force who's worked for the Air Force for his whole adult life, but he feels like because he has done so many things within that job that he's qualified to do all of those kind of separate skills separately. So he feels like a multi-hyphen in that job. And so I think it resonates with a lot of people, even if you aren't the typical actor, dancer, singer, or if you're not the typical gig worker driving Uber and doing a a part-time job and whatever.
0: I think there's, what you're saying, Austin, makes so much sense. And it was something I really thought about after we talked to you kind of in our traditional pod pre-interview was- just being a teacher, I feel like you're required to be a multi hyphenate. And that is kind of what we've come to start, you know, want to define multi hyphenism bias is the ability to be adaptable, multi passionate, interested, and capable of taking on more than one thing.
3: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But every lesson that I teach is every day is like about a different skill about being a human. I call my kids readers. I call my kids writers. I call my kids word scientists when we're talking about phonics. And then I teach, I'm going to have to start teaching science for the first time in January and social studies. So all of those things like I have to know at least a little bit about and then also be able to excite kids about it and make them want to learn about.
2: I love that. I am definitely going to steal word scientist for sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. I love word games. So like teaching phonics has been really interesting for me because I don't remember learning phonics as a child. It, I don't think I did, but it's been really amazing to see. I mean, so many of these things that we don't think about, like how the, the roots of words when, where they come from, I've been able to learn about that In and like I just I, I'm teaching my kids like what a digraph is. and I didn't even know what a digraph was until like five
0: years ago <laughs> so, and to to reiterate, as I'm sure said already, but you're teaching kindergarten and first grade, too. So I think there's an appreciation for maybe upper middle high school teachers that are focused on one subject. So maybe you're an English teacher, you're a math teacher, but I feel like elementary, you know, in preschool where you began, you're, you are being asked as you've just described to teach all the subjects and know them in a way that's age appropriate. So I'm sure, you know, it doesn't, but you're clearly learning new things as you go, as you start discovering what is a digraph. Oh, let me, let me learn more. I love that. Yeah, yeah no, totally. The other thing though, initially as part of your multi-hyphenism that I was intrigued by, because you kind of touched on this, what makes you multi-hyphenate? I know you pondered on that. Part of what you shared were pieces of your passion that you're not necessarily monetizing. I mean, I'd call you an artist. I know you as an artist ever since I've met you, but I don't know that that's something you're seeking to make money off of. I know you do it out of passion and you've you described having an art show, which is really impressive, but I'm just curious, are you protective of those types of passions like gardening art, things that maybe aren't, you know, pieces where you're seeking to make money? Are you hoping to keep them, you know, as hobbies or something more fun, or do you aspire to make money from them? And Or do you even think about that? <laughs>
3: Well, for gardening, I actually like came up upon a, a job really naturally because I was gardening and my neighbor walked by, or actually one neighbor walked by and was like, I love your garden. I've like been watching it grow. And then the other neighbor was like, I'm so glad that you stopped her. Cause like, I've been wanting to introduce myself. I live two doors down and my plants are totally dying and I would love your help if you want and we'd pay you. And I'm like, what? I can like do what I do in my yard but get paid to do it in someone else's <laughs> yard two doors down mm-hmm. so that's been really fun and like kind of has opened my eyes I mean teaching during pandemic is really hard I hope I will be a teacher for many more years but it does make me think I do have other skills that I could monetize and like I wish I had taken a before picture of his yard so that I could show what I did to it and like potentially get another job and maybe garden also for money. I don't know. Um it's definitely been interesting.
1: My dad was a landscape architect for his entire career and later on he just started designing landscape uh like garden landscape for our neighbors in the neighborhood, just like people who lived on, on their block, he'd go to their house and be like, I drew up plans for a garden for you. Mm -hmm. And stuff that should, that would have cost hundreds or thousands of dollars. He was just doing for free mostly so that he could just look at nicer yards in the neighborhood. (laughs) And now when I go back home, I can see like several of the yards on their block that they all have his stamp on them. That's so that's, fun. That's so smart. He probably should have charged, been like, here's a plan for your yard, and I'll implement it if you pay me. But instead, he was like, here's free plans, and I'll also give you an employee discount at the nursery. Really
3: right. smart. I know. I want to, like, capitalize on his plan and <laughs> take over the whole block. Right? Just go
1: door to door.
0: Hi, I've drawn yeah. up some plans for you. <laughs> But those actually would be your great first customers considering they probably watched the transformation happen. You don't even need the photo for them.
3: Yeah. And then for art, um, I like, I still have an Etsy account that I've never gotten a single sale off of, but it's been up for like 10 years and I haven't done any good photos. I haven't done anything to market myself.
0: We'll include it in the show notes
1: though. We're going to link to it.
3: (laughs) Okay, great. Be the first viewer all year. (laughs) but um yeah I did get to have one art show and like I've sold my scarves that I've knitted so I have made a little bit of money on the side doing art
1: and I love the scarf that you're wearing thank you I knit this one too oh
3: that's lovely
2: um I mean I'd love to hear a little bit more I know it's it sounds difficult but it's also super interesting as a teacher having to navigate this very heightened state of living, I guess, that we're in right now around the vaccine. Not, that's not what I'm trying to say. But as we're waiting for the vaccine, i be just very interested in like, how it has changed your role and interacting with children and and being able to be a teacher.
3: I mean, it feels like a completely different job. And it has since March. And I think most teachers would agree with me that It's really hard because you don't go into teaching for the money. You don't go into it for the glory. You go into it because you enjoy it and you think that you're like making a difference. And I feel like both of those things have been really challenging during the pandemic, enjoying it and making a difference or like doing your best teaching. Like it's not happening right now. So um, that's been really hard for me. I've been teaching since I was 18. And it's basically the only like real paying job that I've ever had. And so I've had like, what, like 11 years of really enjoying it. And now it's really hard to go to work. And it's just a bad feeling. And then it's also like, knowing how the kids must be feeling if I'm feeling like this. Hopefully, I'm not presenting that to the kids. And like, kids are still getting excited about learning. But like my kindergartners, I, I teach k one. My kindergartners have never been in a elementary school classroom ever. Yeah. So that's really hard. Wow,
0: I never thought about that, but that is pretty intense. Like are there specific things you're kind of doing or thinking about, given that, or is your
3: school helping you in any way? The school I'm at now is asking parents to sit with the kids or at least like be there, which is like helpful but also hard. So ideally, I would like to have the kids be independent and have the parents maybe be in the next room in earshot if the kid really needs something. But a lot of parents have taken that to mean like I need to be sitting next to the computer. And it just has totally changed the classroom. I feel like I'm teaching 40 people instead of 16 and then like also the management of kids is hard when their parents are there and you know that they're not doing anything to tell them to stop and you have to in front of 16 other families it's just it's a lot of pressure for me I'm not handling it
2: well I don't think I was gonna say I'm in grad school and it's I can see we're all on virtual zoom except we're all in our 20s 30s plus and it's very interesting to see like just keeping attention span and being able to sit for that long in front of a screen. It's really exhausting on a very different level. So I can imagine how kids who are used to moving, who are used to interacting. um, Yeah. I would imagine that's a very different ball game completely.
1: I imagine your parents would not want to sit with you for that, Catherine my parents Uh,
2: no way Cindy loves to move she has to get in her like 20,000 steps so there's no way you're strapping her (laughs) she's just pacing in the background exactly
3: (laughs) yeah but that like brings up a really great point like attention span like most of our lessons in a classroom are supposed to be delivered between eight and ten minutes and then the kids go off to do the work but all of our classes are like 30 minutes online. I mean, a lot of it, I do try to make the kids like go off and do work, but. Some kids get distracted being trying to do work while they're like on Zoom. I don't know.
0: Well, and the community of it is gone. So I think, I mean, I'm embarrassed, but I really genuinely hadn't thought about a kindergartner or first grader perhaps who hadn't been in a classroom setting ever or for very long before all this began. And that's your demographic. That's who you're teaching. But beyond that, when you're sending kids off to do something, they're with a partner or their little desk pod, or I don't, you can't see that working as well for a, an individual kid. Maybe they have a sibling and there's the ability to have some camaraderie there, but you're truly trying to create like solo projects for students. And it sounded like in our pre-talk, you even mentioned trying to adapt, right? So you the curriculum you've been working with was developed and specialized for the in-classroom moments. And yet you're needing to adapt it for this virtual reality.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of times in, a normal classroom where you would like every two minutes in the middle of your lesson, you'd be like, talk to your neighbor. What do you think? It gives kids some think time. It gives them practice of saying what they want to say before they have to say it in front of everyone. And we can't do that. I mean, there's so many things that like, it's just, it really does affect their learning, but like, we couldn't even do that if we were back in the classroom, if kids have to stay six feet apart, they can't
1: do a turn and talk or they're all yelling. (laughs) So no it's
3: just so hard oh my god
1: I can't imagine like myself at that age like first grade the social aspect of school was really necessary for me and also really overwhelming I remember early early in school and then for most of my school (laughs) for my whole career in education that I I didn't have a ton of attention and I was really focused on the social part of it so like in first grade we had to we had to like copy a couple of sentences off the board every day by the end of the day and it was just like a free like by the end of the day it has to get done and i remember all the time after being at school for 8 hours i would have only written down 3 words because i was really busy being social and i don't know there was probably a lot else going on with my brain but it's such a different way of having to learn and without the Social interaction and the the real in-school feeling, I just I can't it's wild to think how different it will be when they are able to get back into a classroom and like the challenges that are going to come with that
0: well, speaking of being in the mind of a little guy, Lila, I feel like it'd be interesting to jump back to what your early career aspirations were and maybe walking us through some of that because it feels like you're leaning into so much of what you've gained over eleven years, as you mentioned. But I'm curious you express maybe having an interest in more of psychology or you were kind of not necessarily at six thinking you were gonna be a teacher.
3: No, definitely not. I really fell into it because my mom is pushy and she is friends with the people who are <laughs> who still run the preschool that I went to. So she's like Lila needs a job. So I started working at the preschool I went to and that was my first teaching job like right af- after high school. And so I subbed a little bit on and off throughout college and realized a few years in a college that I really loved it. But the school that Mallory and I went to did not have a degree in teaching. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't even get any more qualification really. So yeah, I, I, I graduated with a degree in sociology and a minor in art. And then Um, decided to keep teaching because I love it. And it brought me to where I decided to go to get my master's, but that took me a really long time. It took maybe six years after I graduated for me to decide to do that. And it was really through like some cajoling of my ex-girlfriend and her being like, we can't have a family with the mount that you make and I was like well I definitely want some babies so what am I gonna do to make that happen yeah but when I when I was younger I thought maybe I would go to get my degree in therapy go back to get my like master's in therapy or maybe I would go back and be a scuba diving instructor I wanted to like actually live in Mexico and be a scuba diver forever. I think that's
0: still in your future um
1: I can see that for Uh, you, mm -hmm, for sure. mm -hmm. Honestly, I mean, for going to a school that didn't have a teaching degree as an option, and what's the deal with that? What kind of... Hi,
0: Oxy, looking at you. (laughs) Busted ass.
1: But I think it's really, honestly, to go into teaching early education, like sociology and art are sort of big components Mm -hmm. in children. So I think you probably were really set up for that in a way that you probably weren't expecting.
3: True. Yeah. I did not plan that, but I do think that both of those things have helped in my teaching career.
0: Well, as a buddy and just like a sideline cheerleader of your life and career since you were 18, I feel like what is, I'm realizing that I enjoy so much about you too, is I think you let purpose and passion drive a lot of your life, but you're not necessarily seeking to make money off those things. So you've been deliberate in choices and conscientious of how to find a job and, and get, the money. I mean, I'm excited to meet all your babies now that you're getting the, the big girl bucks. But, um, beyond that, I think it's, it's been really interesting to to think about how you're passionate and creative and so intelligent, but you're not necessarily forcing that into your professional space. You're allowing it to fit in where it's needed, but you're, you know, you're still doing art you're doing these other pieces that keep you alive and you're using teaching as a you know you're a great teacher but you're also open to other things which I almost think would make you a better teacher I mean if you were closed off and not as creative it might not work as well so great job Lila
3: Thanks, Boo. I would just love to be your guest every week, so you can keep telling me nice things about myself. Any time.
1: That wasn't a question. I just wanted to tell you that you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it
3: was a it was
0: a thought. I was just listening, and I'm like, wow, there's something to be said about. We talked on another episode. In fact, I think it was the not buying diamonds episode, which you mentioned having listened to about passion being this purpose you know purpose driven and wanting your career to be something as important as you know life's purpose perhaps and I think that can be put a lot of weight on everyone's shoulders and it makes your job something central in a way that I don't know that it always has to be and I feel the way you're speaking about what drives you and how you've become who you are I think you have a Seemingly healthy balance with the two things. You're looking at how to professionalize a career, make more money, could progress, and you're doing wonderful things for your students, but you're also not limiting your purpose in life to teaching. You're allowing yourself to also define yourself as a gardener and as an artist, even if those things are more fledgling, so to speak, and where you're at on the uh, money spectrum, you know.
3: I mean, my mom has always embedded in me, like follow your dreams. I think in some ways that can get really dangerous and has gotten me into trouble. But I also think that in the back of my mind, that has to be like the the biggest thing driving me, especially now that I'm seeing what it's like when you really don't like what you're doing every day. It's so hard. I don't know how anyone does it. So I think it's so important. Follow where your heart tells you is, it's supposed to go, which is also really hard to find out. Like, how are you supposed to know you're like really good at glass blowing or like wood shop or something, you know? Like, who knows? I don't know. It's, it's important to listen to yourself.
1: I love that.
2: Yeah. Well, and I, I really love the idea of that you can have all these passions and like following a purpose doesn't necessarily, like, you're right. It's so nebulous of like, just make your work your passion. Like, well, what does that mean? And what does it mean to have your like follow your dreams? Not everyone gets to be an astronaut, even if you really or be a major league baseball player. Like you can really want to be this be on a certain level and there's just different requirements. And it's so it's interesting to follow something that you really care about and know that like it doesn't have to be, you know, exactly if you're following the money. I guess you can go into finances and you can go to Wall Street. But how much of your well-being are you going to have to sacrifice for that? So having the middle ground or even, it doesn't have to be, I guess, a middle ground, but having that, this thing feels important to me. This is something that I'd love. And the rest you can kind of figure out along the way.
1: Well, and I think you would have to be really passionate about money to be a really rich person because most jobs where you make a ton of money are sort of like soulless, horrible jobs. It's probably why most really rich people don't seem that happy.
2: But, uh-huh. yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to be a very happy, wealthy person. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, it, misery and money. Yeah, they don't go hand in hand. But you're right. If you're just chasing the dollar, then it can make you pretty miserable along the way. If you're not willing to be like a rounded, inspired, or at least like balanced person. You're like, okay, I can do this thing that doesn't have to be perfect, but I can still like be the mom, be the partner, be a scuba diver instructor, um, you know, during the summers or whatever that looks like for you.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and being perfect, I think is really one track minded when you only have one track that you're on. If you have something else that you're doing on the side or something that you really love doing for fun, it makes, puts so much less pressure on your work that you don't have to be exactly like, Perfect. Perfect. Every snap, which is impossible. As I say to kids, there's no such thing as perfect. So if your goal is that high, of course, you're going to be feeling bad about yourself. Cool.
0: And I wrote this question just thinking about you working with young, our young generation, the kiddos all day. Do you see in them any multi-hyphenism that you want to pull out or how do you, now that maybe you're using this term in a new way, is there a spirit you're seeing in kids? I feel like they can be super multi-passionate. They're good at this and they're good at that. They're good at braiding hair of the, <laughs> on their pony. And they're also really good at drawing and they're excellent hopscotchers. Like,
3: yeah. I mean, I think that's a really interesting point. I do think the kids are like the first multi-hyphenates. <laughs> Um, they are doing that all the time and uh, they, ha- they should be, that's what's going to keep them like growing. I think maybe why don't we ask each other, like our kids, did you know that someone made this desk? Did you know that someone like blew this pot? Would you want to do that? Like, what do you want to make? You know, I don't know. Like, that's just my idea. Cause I'm creative and I like doing art, but like, there's other, other questions for people who aren't necessarily creative-minded people.
0: Right, like someone edited this book. You don't have to all be the story writer. You could be the story reader and focusing it for people. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, or like you could be the person who looks at people's x-rays and, you know, the x-ray te- technician. And I think you go to school specifically for that. But it's so hard to know when you're a kid that there are even any... Like, how do we know of any jobs besides what is around us? Mm
0: -hmm. Or even making a job into something that you love. Like, we have to look up stupid jobs for the intros or or fun, fun jobs for our (laughs) intros for the pod. And I was on a, yeah, a kick doing it earlier. And I stumbled upon literally, there's like a flavor guru at Ben and Jerry's and their job is to try all the flavors. And I'm like, hi, over here. I'd be so good at that. But did I know it exists? No, but now that I do, I mean,
3: Vermont, here I come. I'm
1: so <laughs> I'm good at Rewriting that. my resume as we speak.
3: Just try to make it fun for the kids. And that's like what I need to like, keep remembering. Like every time I start getting down on myself or trying to like make it a perfect lesson that the parents who are out of screen enjoy, like the kids, ne- this is maybe some of them's the first experience in real school. So how am I going to make it fun? I just need to remember that.
0: I guess just in thinking and hearing about how you're processing, this is the first school year for some kids. Are you looking at your job with any, we, we've we talked in the past about traps and tricks and we framed it as a trick of the trade is the ability to pivot quickly, learn a new skill, develop something on the fly a little bit. That's multi-hyphenates can be known for that. And then also there's traps where maybe you're, someone's assuming you can just figure this out overnight, or you have this skill set already. And so you alluded to needing to teach science in uh, two days, I guess, January is. So um, hopefully you got your science books, but I'm just curious if there's traps or tricks that you're leaning into, or you want to talk about as like a teacher or in any, you know, realm really, but specifically teaching, I
3: guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of traps and a lot of tricks. And I think one of the most important things for a teacher is to be able to pivot really quickly and make um, last minute decisions when you like see your kids aren't understanding something or it's not landing with this group of kids or they're confused or something. Um, But that's also been a little bit more challenging with COVID because kids aren't, they're muted and they like, aren't necessarily like asking the questions that they normally would because there's a certain amount of time constraint or their parent is there and they don't want to seem like they don't understand in front of their parent. Like there's, oh, there's so many layers to it. But I think that some traps for me have been, I've already spoken about it, but trying to be perfect. At the beginning of the year, I had 15 minutes exactly to teach one tiny thing. And that me need, I needed to make sure I taught it because the other three classes are also teaching this thing today. And then we're all going to push out an activity tonight about what we just taught. And your kid needs to turn it in tonight or tomorrow. And then tomorrow you're teaching the next skill. So if you didn't teach it today, you don't have another chance. And that's so like against what teachers know to do. Like if your kid is behind anything. There could be so many things that you need to do reasons why you need to reteach something. And that just wasn't possible. And that was like really anxiety producing for me. And then like also now looking back on it, so easy to be like, but why would not really have been that bad if your kid was confused in this one activity? I mean, yeah, you never want your kid to be confused, but just the amount of pressure that I'm putting on myself is not health- healthy and also not good for the kids because- they would have probably more enjoyed a lesson where I was like, okay, like we have seven minutes to do this. And then if we like are feeling confused, we're going to do it again tomorrow, but we're going to have like some time to like work on it or like have fun instead. I don't know.
1: Well, I was going to ask, I mean, I know listeners of the pod will have remembered from episode one when I joked that I was a preschool teacher, but I actually was a preschool teacher aide for a year and I just remember it being so so hard for all of the reasons that it is but it's also so rewarding. Do you find that in this style of teaching that you find yourself in now like do you still get any of that rewarding time like does it still have kind of a residual feel good?
3: I think the the way that I have been getting that a little bit has been through my, my one-on-one check-ins with kids or an email that a parent has sent. So it's more been like a one-on-one thing. And that's always kind of been where I feel like I succeed more as a teacher in general, even in a non-pandemic world. It's really nice to get to have a one-on-one check-in with kids and figure out exactly what's going on for them and not be talking to a, an entire room of people. So that's not surprising, but it, it, is, it is unfortunate that, it's really taken a lot of the joy out of it because there is so much joy in teaching young kids. They say the most hilarious things. They do the most hilarious things. I've really been trying to like take record and write down when those things happen because it really is fun to reread and go back to those moments. So that's something that I need to like have in the forefront of my mind also to like, To make sure that that joy is still coming, even though we're online.
0: Do I think one of my favorite accounts is like as heard at lunchtime or something. I'll, if we can include it in the notes, but I'll also send it to you directly, Lila. It's hilarious. And so, and hilarious in the purest way. The kids, what they're saying is just like so honest, you know, and
3: amazing. They're just so funny oh, I had this one moment. I mean, there's so many funny ones, but it just popped into my mind. Preschool teaching is the best. That's where you really find. And Austin taught the same age, four to five-year-olds, because they're like still insane and like so imaginative, but they also can say a lot. And like, they're pretty like, you know, they're little humans. They have like 8,000 words already or something. I had this one girl, she's dressing up and she goes, I might be a maiden, but I'm also a woman.
1: (laughs) And then this. love it. I relate. <laughs> <laughs> I also
2: love the idea of writing down your successes. I think that's super relatable for a lot of people. I don't think we take the time to actually be like, okay, what went great today? Because even if it's the small, like, I made my bed, I made it to work on time, I didn't burn the toast or what, no matter how small or big it can be, being able to look back at those things when you're having those hard days or those hard moments, I could imagine that's be that would be really helpful to just be like, all right, I am, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think the human brain is like very programmed to think of the negative. So when you're forced to think of the positive, It's really good for us and it's good to reread. I think one of my teacher friends said that she keeps all of her nice parent emails in a like folder in her email. And I need to start doing that because that's really nice to read when you're having a hard parent interaction. (laughs) Let's say.
1: (laughs) I wish that I'd kept like the cards that I got at like end of school year. Cause there, some of that stuff is really nice and to be able to look back on something that was really hard through the lens of like someone felt good about what I did that feels way better than I can usually make myself feel
3: Mm. totally oh my god I'm so sentimental I keep all those cards another
0: kind of fun question that might be interesting to get your answer on is advice I feel like you're you're wise you have wisdom I'd love to understand what advice you might have for either your younger self or a younger teacher, someone, perhaps even your student. I mean, I would say to my former
3: younger teacher self, trust in your instincts more. It's really easy to like feel like an imposter and feel like you don't know enough to do anything when you're new, but sometimes just like being who you are or the life experience that life experiences that you had make you qualified to speak on it or do so my example is that I had this really hard lead teacher who was losing her memory and it was like she was teaching first graders how to spell words incorrectly the first time they're ever seeing it Mm -hmm. and things like that and I like would sometimes make subtle little like oh but you spelled this wrong but like really I could have done so much more for the kids if I had had confidence in myself to be like I can teach this for you because it looks like it's feeling hard for you I mean she's teaching a bunch of things you know I could have spun it but it be it was my first year as an assistant in an elementary school and I was like Ooh, I don't know do I have anything to offer should I just sit in the background and watch this like totally tank and that's what I did mostly you just
1: let this woman teach kids things wrong <laughs> for a year
3: no, well, I would say just like believe in yourself as much as you can. And I mean, I think gratitude journal, as we talked about earlier, like that's a good reminder to me to get back out my gratitude journal and write down the positive things that are happening. And maybe you'll start seeing like there's a pattern and that's something that you want to pursue more if you're feeling like it's really important to you at the end of the day.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of us, I would just ask, there are a lot of us that are dealing with this new technology, trying to pivot in this virtual world, and it all feels pretty strange as someone who's dealing with it day to day, especially with the larger groups of kids. Do you have any tips in terms of, I don't know, making it more connective and more engaging in ways that I think that's, I think that's what everyone's missing is that kind of collaboration
3: and connectivity. Yeah, I think um, we try to make it as much like a conversation as possible so even though I can't have those kids do turn and talks I'll still stop the story and be like what do you think and really try to make sure that they are like with us I mean there's some times that you can't though if the screen is blank and there's no kid there you can't do anything I and think also just like making it fun again I know I keep talking about making things fun but especially in the pandemic people need some fun And, like, making it about singing or doing a a body break, a dancing game, or um, my kids have really been, like, liking Kosiki, which is, like, a pattern, hand pattern clapping game, like, and one kid goes away from the screen and comes back and tries to figure out who's leading them. Just, like, making it so that the kids are moving and seeing each other and not just listening to me.
0: That's really cute. I'm already thinking of their gratitude journals slash maybe they all need to be little pen pals writing letters back and forth to each other or something. I mean, they're so
3: cute. Like this new, I mean, all my classes are really amazing, but this new group of kids, I've only known them like, one month and we started doing appreciations and they're already like I appreciate Lila for like blah blah blah, like my teacher like so glad you came here Lila or I wouldn't know you (laughs) like that I mean that is what I mean that's exactly why I teach oh
0: my god how rewarding when you jump into the classroom you know knock wood sometime next year it'll be to give those little guys hugs
2: (laughs) see them yeah I was gonna say now I'm gonna Promote like dance breaks in the middle of Zoom calls, or like have little—I yeah. like, don't know—games, make it a little more playful, so we're all not so miserable staring at our computers.
3: Oh my gosh, I think that would really help adults. Oh my god, you all would be so much more productive. If you had a little fun and then got back to work. Into it,
1: yeah. Dance break.
0: 2 <laughs> hours Zoom meeting. Yeah, freeze
3: dance.
1: Well, I think a fun way to close this out, Lila had an idea in our pre-interview to kind of go around and give a couple of our school memories from so very long ago. Uh, Do you guys have any specific standout school time memories?
0: I totally do. I feel like mine definitely go across the ages. I mean, I remember when you were talking about word science, I'm a terrible speller, but one of my favorite teachers was my first grade teacher who didn't focus on how bad I was at spelling, but instead just enthusiastically asked me to sound it out and make it up. And I wrote so many books as a young kid, and they're amazing, because I'm now married to a wonderful writer and a great speller, who Lila knows. And he's seen these books, and it doesn't bring his heart, I don't even know, so much joy, too much joy, I don't know, the fear for his future kids, I'm not sure exactly what's doing his heart, <laughs> but the <laughs> misspellings in there are atrocious. But the teacher was such a, I just, I love the spirit of that. I mean, I don't know if it caused me to be a bad speller, or I don't want to blame her, I doubt it, but
3: it, at the same time, I feel like, oh, that's what she's supposed yeah, to do. it was... <laughs> That's what we teach now, and that was a long time ago. So she was ahead of her game.
2: I I, I
0: still think it's wonderful, and honestly, it made me a really good Spanish speaker because Spanish is a phonetic language, and it's said and spelt the way it sounds. English is just a weird language, and anyway, so I I as you said that I jumped immediately to Miss Case Meyer, wherever you are. Thank you for giving me the confidence to feel like a really great creative writer and not feeling like I was running into these roadblocks as a first grade. I didn't know how to spell anything. It didn't matter. Just write your stories. So peach pie, yum, yum, you know, second one coming out at some point, I'm sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh. I need to see this. <laughs> That's adorable.
2: How about you, Catherine? Do you have a teacher story? Um, I had, I think it was my second grade teacher, Mrs. Rogers, and she was just as like larger than life personality and would make us excited to be in the room with her because she exactly, she made it playful. She made it silly. Um, and just obviously really enjoyed being with us kids, or at least made us feel that way, which is all that matters. Um, I pretty sure she came in it might've been Halloween. It would make more sense if it was Halloween, but I just remember her coming into the room dressed as a football player. Cause she was a pretty tall woman <laughs> and like <laughs> pretending that she was the substitute teacher and us kids just thinking it was so funny because we knew it was her. And like, I don't know, she just would do these like very, again, larger than life things for us kids that made it feel exciting to be in the
1: classroom with her
2: and obviously memorable. Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. Uh,
1: am I next?
2: Or Lila.
0: <laughs> we should end on a high note with Lila. <laughs>
1: <That's> probably. <laughs> <cute>.
2: <laughs> like, oh.
1: I, it, immediately, I'm like, my best school memory was my uh, high school guidance counselor, who, when I told her I wanted to drop out of school because I was miserable, she was like, oh, honey, you'll be miserable no matter where you go. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> I appreciated it from what it was.
2: Honest.
0: It was
1: like if you're unhappy, you're gonna be unhappy somewhere else. Yeah. That shouldn't be my school story.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I'm like, think of something happy. Think of something happy.
0: Honestly, she was giving you psychology. Maybe, you know.
1: She was. She's
0: like, it's does just moving yourself away from something doesn't make you happy. You gotta find it in
2: you. I bet, I was gonna say that's a life lesson of wherever you go, there you are.
1: It so. really, I, and I am.
3: <laughs> no, I mean, I think that that's really interesting. And one of the reasons I asked you all that is my first memory of school is definitely a negative memory. Even though I loved school as a kid, I was like totally a teacher's pet, super obnoxious. So it's just interesting that like, one, the mind goes to the negative, as I said earlier, but also like, what's your second memory of school? <laughs> you know, like dig a little bit longer and my second memory is positive. So that makes me feel like there were a lot more positive memories. I just have to spend a little bit more time to get to them. What was your positive one? Um, so I had this amazing teacher in sixth grade named Bree who had us do reading buddies, I think every single day. And reading buddies may- meant that you got... Paired with someone who was like one of your best friends at least in my case and we got to choose what book we wanted to read we got to bring popcorn and hot chocolate from home and make it in her in our classroom and then read together for like an hour it was like the best period of the day ever that's awesome and so much fun and and then there was the one time where i decided to bring a cup of noodles to her classroom, and she had a microwave, and I was like, I'm going to eat this for my reading buddy day, but I'd never made myself a cup of noodles before, and I didn't know you had to put water in the container, and water didn't just come out of it as you made it, so I, like, burned this barbecue, like, cup of noodles jar, and the entire school had to evacuate and do class outside for the rest of the (laughs) day, (laughs) hilarious. We had a, a
0: fourth grade classroom drop a thermometer and that was crisis because that was back when it was mercury in there. And I'll never forget, we had to all leave, same deal, and like avoid the classroom for like weeks as they like ripped out the carpet. And so. Decontaminated. We <laughs> we I don't know who dropped the thermometer,
1: but. It was definitely you. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately.
1: Uh, well, that's, I think. I think I love that, that, yeah, no, that was awesome.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for everything, Lila. Just your candidness. And I feel like you walked us through some, a point right now, an inflection point in teaching. And it's just, I know it'll be interesting to listen to at present and probably reflect on once we're past the pandemic and maybe hopefully in the rear view mirror looking at these lessons. But you're an inspiration to me. As I've already gotten on my soapbox to say, so I'm stepping off. But thank you for doing this, and we so appreciate you. Thank
3: you all for making this podcast. I think it's really broadening people's ideas. We hope so. Yeah, thank you. The dream. (laughs) Thank you so much. Have a great evening. I hope that someday we'll all be together in person. Please
1: get get that vaccine. All right. Okay.
3: Thank you all. Bye. Well,
2: that was. Really fun, for sure. I know we said that a couple times, but she's just lovely. And to have that kind of optimism, even when it's so hard. I mean, teachers have it tough enough, but it sounds like she's the kind of teacher
1: we need. Totally.
2: I agree.
1: And as much as she's having a hard time, like, I just know that her style Mm -hmm. has got, like, those kids have to be having a ton of fun. She's just sort of an infectiously fun person to be around.
0: Well, and even all the lessons she was teaching us, I feel like she brings her teacherliness wherever she goes. And it felt like, you know, in the moment I'm having epiphanies and realizations just specifically about how to carry myself through my life and career and making sure I'm obviously dedicated and interested in and influential in my professional space, but also still inspired and excited outside of that and doing things that I love for the love of doing them. And not necessarily closed off to the opportunity to just, yeah, be someone's gardener if they ask. I mean, (laughs) don't ask me. Also, other (laughs) asterisks. I'm not a plant's best buddy, but anyhow.
1: I planted a lot of things this year, but we will see what the spring looks like.
0: No, you and Catherine, you are both good. Catherine, I was waiting for you to jump in and just start telling Lila about you're a very good plant mother. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I am an obsessive plant person but I like I put a lot of emotional investment in these plants which I don't know how healthy that is but it's super fun to be like spritzing daily and making sure everybody's rotated and we got the water meter I mean it's
1: so you're a helicopter plant mother
2: I'm a helicopter plant mom I'm a tiger mom okay okay <laughs> <laughs> Although the distinction is
0: necessary, especially because I know where all my green thumb went and went to my sister. So <laughs> thanks, Harper. Um, but you're a indoor plant guru. And I think that's a very different and honestly difficult in all these different ways than being an outdoor plant guru, or at least a farmer or gardener. I feel
1: like those are oh, yeah. they're different. Mm-hmm. So. I have none of that. I'm just slowly watching the poinsettia that I got for Christmas die in front of my fireplace. <laughs>
2: the poinsettia
1: yeah you can say it both (laughs) ways i argued with brian about this earlier i was like wait i don't know i said poinsettia and he was like oh is that how you say it so i refuse uh it's the big red one we all know Uh, all right (laughs) (laughs) do you have glitter on it (laughs) it wasn't supposed to glitter it
2: that's amazing
1: there is so much glitter in our house the wrapping paper Like, I will publicly dig Target right now that every wrapping paper that I bought from Target this year had glitter on it, which is my own fault. But, like, none of it was adhered to the wrapping paper. So, as soon as I took them out, there's gold glitter over our entire house. Every present that got wrapped, I was just, like, covered up to my elbows. It was a mess. Never again. Mm.
0: Sounds like a dream and a nightmare. I can't decide (laughs) which.
1: Yeah, no, like I, I do love glitter, but it there's a time and a place.
2: I was gonna say, and now I'll be with you for the rest of your life. Yeah,
1: for sure. (laughs) Glitter,
2: corner crevices. Yeah,
0: no,
1: it's like it's the best COVID analogy. Like if COVID was glitter, and you went to a party with six of your friends, and one person brought glitter. (laughs)
2: <laughs> now you all have glitter
1: then everyone would have glitter
2: yay talk about a teachable moment <laughs> <Yikes. True>. um, <laughs> I think um the one thing I guess do we want to say anything else about yeah I, I just kept trying to think of how I mean it sounds like it's specific to be talking to Lila about these things about how to teach in a school and work with technology and But really, I mean, being flexible and learning how to be creative in the moment and be adaptable is something we've talked about a lot. And I didn't know if we wanted to say anything else about that of how, you know, I mean, let alone all the people out there who have kids and they're in this moment trying to be a teacher as well as be, you know, X, Y, and Z, multi-hyphenate. I guess, did we want to end on anything else? No, I love that because... I can't remember when I said this, if it was
0: on the pod, excuse me for repeating myself, but I feel like the teacher is a great example of someone working in an industry that feels like it's one and singular, but really it's the multi-hyphenate of multi-hyphenates you're adapting regularly whether it's each school year with new students each day with new circumstances or as we you know chose to focus a bit on this inflection point of the pandemic and changing from an in-person structure of school to this to a virtual structure and and so I think to bring her on Helps illuminate that as well that I think, you know, you mentioned it, Austin, that there's people that maybe traditionally feel like they're in one specific industry and there can't possibly be, you know, much multi-hyphenism in their path. And yet, as you dig in, you realize there is. Yeah. And and I think we're stretching a term here, but that's okay because I think that's part of the point. We want more people to see themselves this way and also understand How the qualities of a multi hyphenate can be so functional, even in a single career track, you know, she's a multi hyphenate, that's basically allowed herself to be a teacher, you know, so she's on a single career track, but she's got all this characteristics, I would consider myself, you know, wanting and needing as a multi hyphenate. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you guys for listening. And we want to remind everyone to please rate and subscribe and follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Blood Sweat Careers. And we do have an email where we love to get notes of admiration. Any ideas you guys may have through our inbox. We're blood sweat careers Pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.
1: Hey,
0: Bye.